Today we are going to talk about the George Floyd case and how it compares to prior civil rights movements in our nation's history. We will also talk about social justice and moral relativism and how they influence the way we address issues in our culture. My name is Jacqueline and I'm just an American. So over the last couple of weeks, we have seen across our country a lot of protests, um, some riots and violence that has stemmed from the killing of George Floyd by a Minneapolis police officer. And one of the things that has really been interesting to me, and I think to a lot of people in looking at what's going on in the country, is it seems that the majority of people are kind of on the same page with being able to look at what happened to George Floyd and the way that he was killed and say that that was wrong and denounce it and call for the police officer responsible for that action to be fired, to be arrested, to be charged with a crime, to face consequences for what he did. And at the same time, People, I think, across the country in general have been able to take a look at the not just not the protests, but the riots that have ensued, the the acts of violence against police, innocent police officers and civilians alike, the um, burning down of hundreds of businesses across the country, the looting, the property damage. And we can look at that and we can say, Both of those things are wrong, okay? That the killing of George Floyd was wrong and there should be consequences for it. But at the same time, the violence and the riots that we see across the country are also wrong and that that should not be allowed and it should not be tolerated. As Americans, we heavily value our First Amendment rights and the right to protest, the right to express our grievances. That's something that I think everybody, um, or not everybody, but the majority of people seem to have a consensus with. We support the right of people to protest and to voice their concerns and to fight against injustice that they feel is injustice. But we do not have the right to devolve into chaos and violence in the process of protesting. But what's been interesting over the last couple of weeks and kind of disturbing is when I look around, it's it's how many of my fellow Americans from civilians, people who are friends, people who are just regular folks on social media, um, all the way up to people in the mainstream media, all the way up to politicians and really celebrities, the most powerful voices in our country, who actually are not saying the things that I think most people find pretty obvious. They actually are justifying the violence. They're justifying the riots. They're excusing it. I've heard so many people over the last couple of weeks with these really weak expressions of, well, I don't condone the violence, however, or well, I don't support or call for violence, but I can understand why these people are doing what they are doing. And it's just really, I think that that is something that's been just unsettling for so many people is to see all of that and you know the the accusations that if you are denouncing the burning down of the businesses of innocent people who have nothing to do with the killing of George Floyd that somehow if by denouncing that violence we are dishonoring the memory of George Floyd or we are you can't you can't do both of those things at the same time and what i think that all of that comes from is 
the fact that social justice is not real justice. So this idea that we are going to validate, that we're going to excuse violence, that all stems from the idea of social justice. Okay, social justice is this idea that those who commit a wrong are not the ones responsible for it. And those who have not done the wrong actually are the ones who bear responsibility for it. So in this particular case, what we're talking about is that the people who are looting, the people who are, you know, running over police officers and innocent civilians who are shooting people, who are throwing rocks and bottles who and all sorts of, you know, bricks, things like that at innocent police officers, innocent civilians, that they're not actually responsible for what they are doing. Okay, this is the narrative. The narrative is they're not responsible for what they are doing, that actually the people who are responsible are white people or the, the society or the institutions that have systemic racism in them. Okay, so this is the, and this is the ideology that we see that is behind the celebrities who instead of raising money for the business owners who have lost everything, after having such a horrible year, first with the coronavirus and then with the riots and curfews and all sorts of other other things. Um, instead, our celebrities are raising money for the rioters. They're raising money who the people who for the people who have been arrested for committing crimes during these protests. And those are the people that they are supporting. And of course, again, the idea behind it is that they are not really responsible for the actions that they have taken. And then on the other side of social justice is the idea that the people who are responsible, big groups of people, right? So for example, it's all white people or all police officers, okay? Because some white people have done bad things because some police officers have done bad things. Therefore, all white people are bad or at least responsible. And all police officers across the country are responsible for the the situations and the ugliness and, and the violence that we are seeing. Now, I think that social justice, the ideas behind social justice, I think it stems from the idea of moral relativism, which is this notion that there is no object, no such thing as objective truth. There is no you know, objective, this is right, this is wrong, this is moral, this is immoral. Um, moral relativism comes really from atheism and it comes from agnosticism, this idea that there is no God and therefore there is no entity that can determine, okay, this is what is what it means to be good and moral and, and do the right thing. And this is what it means to do wrong and immoral things. Moral relativism is the idea that really we get to make up these rules. We get to make it up as we go along. It can be anything from each individual person gets to decide what they believe is moral or immoral, or, you know, that it's that morality is nothing more than a societal contract that we have with each other. Okay, so in other words, the reason, the only reason why we believe that stealing should be illegal is because we as a society have all come together and kind of agreed that that is the case and that that's the only thing that makes theft and stealing something that doesn't belong to you that's the only thing that makes it immoral or makes it wrong is that we as a society have deter have de decided that and what that does is that opens the door it leaves the door open for people to decide to raise up and come to get come out as a group and decide you know what 
in this particular case, I don't think that stealing things is wrong. I think that stealing things that, you know, people stealing things that don't belong to them is perfectly legitimate and justified. Now, the problem with this, of course, and the idea of moral relativism and social justice is that we can't actually have a society that functions properly and civilly in a world where the rules don't apply equally to everybody. Real justice, as opposed to social justice, is the idea that we, you know, as a society have determined, okay, something is a crime, right? So stealing is a crime. That means that if somebody picks up a gun and goes down to the bank and robs the bank, that is a crime. And it doesn't matter if the person who is robbing the bank is white. It doesn't matter if they're black. It doesn't matter if they're male or female, if they're 18 years old or 65 years old. If you get a gun and you go down and you rob a bank and you steal money that doesn't belong to you, that is a crime. And there is a punishment for that crime. Real justice dictates that the punishment for the crime is also the same, regardless of the person committing the crime. Social justice opens up this idea that, well, we have to look at who committed the crime, okay? And if the person who committed the crime is a poor person or if they're an underprivileged person or if they're somebody who has suffered a lot in their life, then, you know, maybe they are not as culpable for their actions as somebody else. We cannot have a functioning society based on these ideals. This, and this is part of the reason why I believe that we're seeing the chaos over the last couple of weeks that we are seeing is because you just can't have a society function where in some cases burning down buildings is wrong and in some cases eh, it's justifiable. It's completely fine. This lack of clarity that surrounds the idea of social justice can also be seen in the fact that, you know, we're not really seeing clear messages coming out of this movement. So on the one hand, for example, we hear all the time that silence in regards to racial issues is complicity. That if you are silent, if you're not speaking out about racial injustice, if you're just, you know, a person who's living your life, trying to be the best person that you can, working hard, raising your family, not being racist in word or action, and just trying to be a good Christian or a good, just a good person in general, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. That unless you are actively speaking out against racial injustice, that you are complicit and you're endorsing it. But this over the past couple of weeks, we have seen, especially over the past week, it's been really interesting because we have seen People, okay, and I know everyone has seen this, whether it is friends and family on social media, all the way up to businesses, corporations, sports teams, celebrities, we have seen them all post messages of solidarity with the with this movement and against racism, okay, and What's interesting is that when you look at all of these social media postings, when you look at the Blackout Tuesday postings and everything, yes, there's a lot of people who go on there and they offer their support and they say, thank you for doing this. But there are a lot of comments of people attacking those who are speaking out. And they're saying, yeah, that's not good enough. Like, look at you talking. That's not good enough. These are just empty words. You're sitting there with your white privilege, but these are just empty words. So it's like, okay, well, you know, silence is complicity, so people are speaking out. Okay, so now we're talking about these words are empty. We need to see action. We need to see action. So you look particularly at the George Floyd case, for example. And I think this is one of the questions that a lot of people have asked over the last week is, okay, we want we want condemnation. We want words to be spoken. Well, 
there's been universal condemnation against what happened to George Floyd, okay? You've had politicians from both sides of the aisle. You have had citizens across this country. You have had police officers across this country all saying the same thing, which is that what happened to George Floyd was evil. It was terrible. It never should have happened. And the people responsible should be held responsible. Well, those are just words. That's not enough, right? You want action. Okay, well, we've had action. There's a Department of Justice investigation going on. There are all four police officers have been arrested and charged with a crime. So there's action. There is action right there. And yet we still see protests. Okay, that's fine. People just still wish to express their opinions on it. That's fine. But we still see violence and we still see riots. And the question becomes, okay, if what you're looking for is people speaking out, that has happened. If what you're looking for is action, that has happened. And yet we still see violence and we still see riots. And what we are told is, well, that's because of hundreds of years of racial injustice. That's because of systemic racism that exists in the police department. That's because of all of these other things. But then the question still becomes, okay, so what is the clear goal? What is the clear, what is it that is wanted? When you look throughout history, for example, at different movements, you look at the civil rights movement, you look at the women's suffrage movement, for example. Okay, so let's just talk about the women's suffrage movement. What was it that women wanted? They wanted the right to vote. That was an actual law that was on the books in the United States of America that said that only men could vote. So when you look at that, okay, there here. This is a step towards real justice. Real justice is, all right, here is this right, which is a very important right, the right to vote and determine the future and the direction of our country. So here is this right. And if you are a male, if you are a citizen, and if you are over the age of 18, you can vote in elections. But women can't. So women said, you know, hey, we want that right too. We should have that right too. There is no legitimate reason to deny us that right. The same can be said for the civil rights movement, okay? Jim Crow laws were not just horrible societal traditions that were carried out. It wasn't like, oh, these diner owners could just decide that they wanted the blacks to sit at this lunch counter and the whites to sit at this one. These were actual laws that were on the books. Segregation in schools, using different water fountains and restrooms, all of these things. These were laws that were on the books. And so when... Um, when the civil rights movement happened, what they were fighting for was to overturn those laws and to say, you know, hey, that we segregation is not justice. This is not right. We should be a, all people should be able to utilize the same services in the same way. There is no reason why, based on the color of your skin, you sh- that should tell you where you have to sit on a bus. So these were actual laws that were on the books in these states and in these communities that they wanted to repeal. When you look at this current movement, when you look at the social justice warriors who are talking about you know, wanting change. And you say, okay, well, what is it that you want? Well, they want to eliminate systemic racism. Okay, well, we need specifics, okay? Social justice warriors, and so this whole idea of social justice, it lives and thrives in the realm of the vague. It thrives in the in the realm of emotions, okay? That it's not about specific laws that are on the books, but it's about how people feel and look at one another. One of the terms that you hear a lot from people who talk about social justice is um, 
unconscious bias, right? The idea that you have a bias in you um, that you exhibit towards other people that you're unconscious of. You don't even know that you have it. Okay, how do you solve that problem? That's the big question here is how do we solve the problems? The reality is, is that complaining about problems, pointing out problems, finding problems, that's the easy part. Anybody and everybody can and does do that. The hard part, the hard work, the important work, the moral work that people have fought and died for is to find the solutions to the problems. And that is what we need to focus on. What are the proposed solutions from these groups? And there are very few right now that I have seen, there are very few solid solutions being proposed for what we are seeing. So one, for example, one solid solution that's an actual policy change that they are advocating for is to defund and in some cases dismantle police departments across the country. To me, that that idea is just complete insanity. I, I do not believe that the way that we eliminate crime and we eliminate innocent people getting killed in this country is to eliminate police departments. I don't think that underfunding and defunding police departments is going to solve the problems that we are seeing in these underprivileged communities. Because let's be real, okay? The city of Beverly Hills is not going to be defunding their police department. The city of Bel Air is not going to be defunding their police department. Malibu is not going to be defunding their police department. The cities that are talking about defunding their police departments are the cities, some of the cities across the country that have high crime rates and high problems in in their communities, that they, cities like Minneapolis, cities, cities like Los Angeles, cities like New York City, these are the cities that have talked about this. You know, these are the cities that people, innocent people who are living in poverty are in, and they are going to be the ones who are going to be negatively affected and negatively impacted by police departments who are not going to keep cities safe and and reduce crime, okay? I love all the celebrities who are coming out and calling for dismantling of police departments, okay? These are the people who pay, who have the money and the means to pay for their own private bodyguards and security around the clock. They, they are never, they're not going to be left without protection, okay? It is the poor person. It is the single mother who is trying to take care of her children and working two jobs. She's going to be the one who is going to be a victim of crime because she can't afford to have a bodyguard for or multiple bodyguards for herself and for her families, okay? So the idea that that is a, a reasonable and responsible solution to this problem is just crazy. And and to be honest, I, I do not see the support of that widespread throughout the country. And I, I don't think that that's going to be something that people are going to want. If you go to the actual group Black Lives Matter, not just the phrase, but the actual group Black Lives Matter, and you look at some of their proposals and what they want. Um, another example of one of their proposals is they want to break down the Western idea of a nuclear family. That is one of their proposals. They want to they're, they're openly saying it. They want to destroy, break down the Western idea of the nuclear family, which is, of course, a husband, a wife, and, and kids. So you, here's the thing with, this, with some of these examples, okay? These examples, you can actually bring up studies and statistics and 
facts and evidence, okay? It's not just about feelings and emotions. You can actually bring up facts and statistics that demonstrate that these proposals will have a horrible effect on society and particularly particularly on the people who are most at risk in this country, okay? According to the U.S. Census Bureau from 2017, families who in the United States of America who don't have a father figure in the home, okay, so that's without a biological step or adoptive father, they are four, They have a four times greater risk of living in poverty. Girl, young girls are seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager. Seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager if they don't have a father figure in the home. They're more likely to have behavioral problems, more likely to face abuse and neglect. They, are two ti- they have a two times greater risk of infant mortality among women who don't have um, a husband in the home. They're more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. They're more likely to go to prison. They're twice as likely to suffer from obesity, more likely to commit a crime, and two times more likely to drop out of high school if they don't have a father figure in the home. Removing a father figure from the home, breaking down, okay, achieving this goal of destroying and breaking down the nuclear family, the Western idea of a nuclear family, has demonstrative consequences, okay? We can actually look at the negative consequences of that policy proposal, and we can see that doing what they are suggesting would would greatly, greatly increases the chance of people living in those situations of basically every bad thing in the world that could possibly happen to them. It increases their rights to do that or their chances of that happening to them. And so these are the, when, when pressed for specifics, these are the solutions that are being come, come up with by the social justice warriors. And these solutions are not realistic. They are not acceptable to the majority of people. And that is why so much of social justice depends on emotion and so much of it depends on virtue signaling. Okay, virtue signaling, this idea that we are doing something that looks virtuous while we are accomplishing nothing. Okay, and this is something that we have seen unbelievable high levels over the last week. Okay, when you post, when you post a black square on your social media page, that's virtue signaling. Okay, because posting a black square on your social media page has done nothing to to curve any of the problems of racism in America, okay? When you have white people kneeling and kissing the feet of black people, kneeling and apologizing to black people for the color of their skin, um, that does absolutely nothing to actually address the problems that people are facing in this country, people who are hurting, people who are suffering, people who are living in poverty, okay? None of this helps these people. None of this does anything to help any of these people. So none of this virtue signaling is actually doing anything to help the people that those doing the virtue signaling wants to help. Okay, so another way that you can take a look at social justice is social justice being based on emotion. Um, We see an example of this in the conversation around what the police officer in the George Floyd case was charged with. So originally he was charged with third degree murder and people were not happy with that. They, that was part of why so many people said that these protests were going on continuously and for so long is because they said, no, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. That's not harsh enough. Okay. Well, here's the reality about our justice system. Okay. Go and read in the penal code, go and read 
the definition of first-degree murder, second-degree murder, and third-degree murder. When you look at real justice, actual justice, you see that the just, like, it's based on the circumstances of the crime. So as I said at the beginning of the episode, it doesn't matter if you're black or white, male or female, young or old. If, if you commit a crime, they look at the circumstances of the crime to determine the charges, and that de- should also determine the sentence, okay? And it, it is, and it should be the same for everyone. And if it's not the same for everyone, then that is something that we should work on. And that is something that we should change. But real justice means that we look at the circumstances of the crime, Okay. Over the last few days, they actually upgraded the charge against the officer from third degree murder to second to, to second degree murder. And that is not changing what the person is charged with based on the level of emotion surrounding the case, based on the level of outrage and political pressure surrounding the case. That is not justice. That is vigilantism. And that is a part of social justice. It is ha- not having the same rules for different people or for the, for everybody it's having different rules for different people now the other problem with this is that it's not it is not something that is Um, evenly displayed across the board, right? So the same people who are saying that all police officers are guilty because of what this police officer did or of what a handful across the country, a statistical handful of police officers are doing, these people would never accept that just because one black person commits a crime, that means that all black people are guilty of crimes, okay? So these rules are not the same across the board. And you see this with things like when you have a sexual assault allegation, for example, against Brett Kavanaugh. That a- accusation is treated completely differently than a sexual assault allegation against Joe Biden. The difference is not the allegation. The difference is the person who is charged with it. One person, we don't like him. And so we're we're going to make this a bigger case and the person oh well the other guy we do like him and so we're going to you know shut this up and make it go away that is social justice we as a society cannot function on social justice moving forward in our our country will not survive if we go the way of social justice instead of real justice if we go the way of subjective morality and subjective rights and wrong instead of solid, objective truth about what is right and what is wrong, we as a society will not survive. What you end up with is chaos. What you end up with is confusion, which is what we are seeing. This is what we are seeing. If you like what is taking place in our country right now and what has taken place over the last two weeks, then that is what you will get if we continue to embrace the ideas of social justice. That, that is what it's going to give us. Social justice wants to tear apart and destroy. That is all it is good for. That is why we don't have solid, reasonable, realistic solutions coming out of the movement and why it is based purely on emotion. Real justice is what builds up societies. Real justice pulls people up without tearing people down. When women were marching in this country for the right to vote and we were granted the right to vote, it did not take away a fundamental God-given right from men and from those people who already had the right. It didn't take anything away from them, okay? Real justice is looking at our country, looking at our founding principles of freedom and justice for all and saying, you know what? The principles were 
perfect. The principles were amazing and they were fantastic. Where we failed as a country was in applying those principles evenly to everyone. That is where the United States in our history has failed. Okay, we did not apply freedom for all to everyone while we were while slavery was legal in America. We did not apply our foundations of equality and all men are created equal when some people had the right to vote and some didn't. And some people had the right to sit wherever they wanted on a bus and some others didn't. Okay. That we were not embracing what our country stood for. And over the course of the last, you know, since the founding of our country, we have been consistently trying to seek justice by moving in the right direction. But the direction that the social justice warriors are trying to move us now is actually backwards because they want to go back to this idea that no, treating everybody equally is not the goal. The goal is, is that for some people who protest, you know, they should be condemned for it and others should be should be praised for it. The idea is that if some people go into a Target, break into a Target and walk out with a bunch of merchandise they didn't pay for, well, some people should be charged for a crime for that and some people should not be charged for a crime for that. And it depends on who they are and what their reasoning is and what their cause is and what their socioeconomic level is or what their race is. That is not real justice. That is is social justice. So as we Amer- as Americans move try to move forward from the chaos that we have seen over the last couple of weeks, what I would love to see us focus on as a country is just let's seek out solid solutions. Let's not focus and spend all our time focusing on the problems. Let's not focus on empty words and empty gestures that that are nothing more than virtue signaling. Okay, let's strive to keep our eyes focused on justice, real justice and equality for all people and not the emptiness and the inconsistencies of and the chaos that comes with the social justice movement. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to rate this podcast and subscribe using your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. And if possible, go ahead and share it with a friend. In the future on these episodes, we are going to talk about things that are happening every day. We're going to talk about the culture. We're going to talk about history. It's something that I'm really passionate about and just all of the topics that affect us as Americans, as human beings um, in 2020 America from the perspective of just an American. 